It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Monday episode of Locked On Raptors, the shorthanded Toronto Raptors take down the Dallas Mavericks without Pascal Siakam or Scotty Barnes. But that's all right, because OG Ananobi was there to save the day. 12 fourth quarter points. We're going to dig into his awesome performance, the way the guys behind him really helped out in the effort as well. And we'll also talk about some pretty crazy numbers about the Raptors and the way they are gaming the possession battle. Will it continue as Pascal Siakam gets set to return? We'll talk about it all on today. Today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to episode number 1290 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, November the 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons, so there's plenty of back catalog you can go find. Just go to my Twitter, at WoodleySean. You can see all my work over there. And uh, thanks for being here to support the show. You can support the show not only in being here listening to it or watching it, but also by going to your favorite podcast apps and subscribing, rating, and reviewing. It's free to do. It takes no time at all, and it really helps the show out, makes us go up the rankings and all that good stuff. And we are on YouTube if you want to go see the video of the, of the show each and every day. Just hit the big red subscribe button on the Lockdown Raptors YouTube channel, and you get to look at my mug every single day. What a treat that is. All right, on today's show, which is brought to you by our friends over at LinkedIn Jobs, which is the number one play for you to find quality candidates you want to talk to faster when you're hiring. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash NBA. On today's show, we are going to dig into the win over the Dallas Mavericks, 105-100 on Saturday night. A really uh, spirited game for a team that, honestly, I did not expect to see that from. It seemed like the Raptors kind of going in were a little bit exhausted, a little bit weary from the constant barrage of injuries and having to overcome the various very important players who were no longer not in the lineup. And I didn't think they had this in them against the Dallas Mavericks, but they did. 
And it's largely in part due to OG Ananobi, who was fantastic in this game. We're going to talk about OG, but also why I think the guys who were behind him in the way the Raptors were playing defense were actually maybe the secret to this game. We'll get into that. We will also talk about the Raptors' possession gaming, which has just gotten to absurd extremes over the last couple of weeks with Siakam out. And I'm curious to see if that's going to hold up as Siakam returns. And maybe they can just play normal basketball. We'll see. Also, the good, the bad, the hmm coming up later on. But let's dive in first to the big takeaway from the game. And look... OG Ananobi is everybody's main takeaway from the game, right? 26 points, 9 of 19. He goes 2 of 4 from deep, 6 of 7 from the line. He continues to be a walking paint touch anytime you get him with just like a little bit of space to go downhill. He is getting to the rim. He is getting fouled. He is dunking. He is finishing or he's missing and getting his own putback. He's just been so fun to watch kind of come into his own with Siakam out. You know, there's still some issues with efficiency and just like the overall burden of carrying the offense on your shoulders that, you know, I think he's going to be very happy to have Siakam back to help alleviate some of that. But he was just ridiculous in this ridiculous 12 points in the fourth quarter. And again, he kind of was the reason the Raptors were able to survive this one on the offensive end. In addition, defensively, I mean, he guarded Luka Doncic the entire night. It was a team effort to guard Luka Doncic because they were mostly funneling the ball out of Luka Doncic's hands. But the way OG can sort of face guard a dude and make him not want to test those waters, you know, there are plenty of guys you can stick on a guy and say, hey, you're going to shadow him all day. We're going to help double team and all this stuff. The fact that Luka never really felt comfortable sizing up OG in isolation and, you know, kept on inviting in the screen, inviting the double teams with the way he was running the offense, that speaks to how freaking good OG is and what a deterrent that dude is. And while I don't think he was maybe as instrumental in the back end of the defense where the Raptors really won this game, it all flowed from him and feeling as though, all right, OG's got Luca worried about. We can figure out the the way to guard the rest of the four guys on the floor with what else we have. And I thought it was just a really excellent performance. I think Fred Van Vliet, Thad Young, Chris Boucher, and Juancho Hernan Gomez were kind of the real sort of unsung stars of this game. We'll get to them in a sec. For OG... Just going through some of the numbers from the matchup data, I mean, it's pretty stark. He was the guy to guard Luka Doncic. He guarded him for 12 minutes and 17 seconds across 61 partial possessions per the NBA.com tracking data. Uh, in that time, Luka goes 5 of 12, which is not bad. Hey, <laughs> less than 50%. You love that. Four assists, two turnovers. He got blocked twice by OG as well. And look, they scored 73 points, the Mavs did, on those 61 possessions, which is very good. That is like best offense in the league territory over the course of a full season but against the Mavericks there are no good choices because Luka Doncic can figure out any coverage on his own and you throw him the same look a bunch of times he's going to figure it out in this game they kind of took the ball out of his hands and they trusted that the guys around him weren't going to burn him and there were moments in this game where it seemed like it might start to burn them. Start of the fourth quarter, the three start falling from Dorian Finney-Smith and, uh, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie and all this. And it looks like, uh-oh, maybe this is where they got to change up their coverage and just go solo. OG guards Luka, fights through the screen, sticks with him the whole time. You don't compromise the back end of your defense to leave open threes. 
But the thing is, is you give Luka an inch and you have OG who's very good defensively, but he's a big dude to try to fight through screens. Like, it's difficult to kind of go one-on-one straight up in that situation. You're going to have to switch and stuff. And like anyone else not named OG guarding Luka in this game was a non-starter. All, all told, he goes five of seven against every other player on the Raptors when he was guarded by them. Uh, so yeah, like it, it just, it was the lesser of two evils for sure. And I think the Mavs kind of do you some favors favors with the fact that their supporting cast isn't like brilliant it's not like the Celtics where you send all your attention to Jason Tatum and the rest of the team is just eviscerating you it's not quite that so I think they made the right call in sticking with the double team Luka through OG being the main face guard guy and work with what happens after that as the play flows from there and, you know, it's still impressive, amazing that Luka Doncic goes off for, what was it, 24 points in this game? Uh, yeah, 24 and 8 of 15. He was super efficient. He had nine assists. He just had two, he had four turnovers, so that's not amazing for him. But still, um, you know, I, I just think it's not an easy thing to kind of decide how you're going to guard Luka. And I thought the way OG was able to face guard him, the way the guys behind him rotated their asses off the entire night, really made it so it came out to be the right decision. And again, I was wavering. Alvin Williams was calling for them to go single coverage basically the entire fourth quarter, and Nick Nurse, you know, stuck to it. They were very convicted in the way they were going to guard Luka, and it worked out pretty darn nicely. One of their better defensive games in recent memory, honestly. They've been a very, like, recent memory for this season, obviously, when I'm speaking like that. But, um, you know, I think Fred, Thad, Boucher, Wancho again, those four guys, it was such a great call, I thought, by Nick Nurse to throw Boucher in to start the second half uh, in place of Wancho. And I think Wancho was more deserving of closing this game than Gary Trent Jr. And I'm encouraged to see, maybe not for Gary Trent Jr.'s sake, but, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, I'm encouraged to see that other guys are seeming worthy of those closing duties. And depending on the matchup, depending on how guys are playing, you don't have to feel married to Gary Trent Jr. closing games for you because Chris Boucher can come in and have 22 and 13 off the bench. You you can go with Thad Young, who has just been a delight and is picking out dudes on cuts basically for sport at this point. Uh, and I think Wancho, I mean, he didn't have like the craziest defensive numbers in this game, didn't have any counting stats, but... He's a really good positionally sound defender. He can make those rotations really sharply. He's not like a guy you ever want on an island against an apex predator wing. Luka Doncic gets on him and you're toast. But I think as a positional guy playing the Raptors scheme, he's shown that he can actually do it. And we're probably going to dig in later in this week into sort of the idea of guys who in Siakam's absence have put themselves into the plans. And I think Wancho is kind of right at the top of this list. Uh, he, he was really, really nice in his limited minutes. And he hit his threes, two or four from deep. You love to see that. That's a big thing that's going to keep Wancho on the floor if he keeps on playing defense this way. You know, just, uh, I think, a really impressive, like, coaching game from the Raptors in this one. I think, you know, we talk about Nick Nurse a lot. People have their qualms, sure. But the dude knows how to take the players he's been given and come up with a game plan that will give the Raptors a chance to win. It's not always going to work. Sometimes they're going to shoot themselves out of it, whatever. But they figured out how to guard this this Mavericks team. And look, the Mavericks aren't exactly the most inventive team in the world to play against. And, you know, they're not coming up with all sorts of great counters necessarily. Jason Kidd, maybe the honeymoon period, is wearing off a little bit. But uh, I do think the Raptors were super well prepared for this game. They were convicted in the way they guarded Luka. They didn't get spooked when guys started hitting threes late in the game. And uh, I think the fact that they 
they chose not to just go single coverage on Luca. What was a, a pretty smart call, all told, um, despite me very much being compelled to listen to Alvin Williams down the stretch of this game, who more on Alvin later. I'm having just a, a ball watching Alvin Williams this year on the broadcast. It's been a delight. But either way, uh, I, you know, as great as OG was in this game, and he was, I really think the flowers belong to Fred, Thad, Boucher, and Wancho more than anybody else. We got a couple other guys to hand out some love to as well later on. But um, those are the guys that I'm thinking about after this game. They were really, really impressive. And, um, you know, th- this team's going to be something. It's going to be something once Pascal gets back. I feel pretty sure about that. We're going to continue on here and dig into the way in which the Raptors have been something without Pascal Siakam. Look, this is how they do it with Pascal Siakam too, but the numbers are just getting kind of hilarious, frankly, when it comes to the way the Raptors are gaming the possession battle. Uh, And it got even more pronounced with 17 offensive boards against the Mavericks on Wednesday. We're going to dig into some of those crazy numbers and also talk about whether or not it's going to hold up or if the Raptors might change their identity a little bit once Pascal Siakam gets back. We'll get to that in just one second here. But first, got to tell you, better friends over at... LinkedIn jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you are are getting access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to go and check out LinkedIn jobs. If you're hiring, LinkedIn jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's very simple. If you're hiring, you just go onto your LinkedIn profile, you set up your job, you add the details, and then you put the purple hiring frame around your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you are in fact Hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire and not interview people who don't match what you're looking for. It's why small businesses relate rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's linkedin.com slash LockedOnNBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, digging into the Toronto Raptors win over the Dallas Mavericks to move to 10-9 and on the season, 5-5 five and five without Pascal Siakam as Siakam nears a return, possibly as early as tonight. There was no shoot-around for the Raptors on Monday, so I don't think we're going to get word on Siakam until maybe closer to game time. If he is, in fact, available, he was cleared for contact late last week. It's all very exciting. I cannot wait for Siakam to get back because, as I've kind of said, evaluating this team, while it's been fun to watch the wins and kind of depressing to watch the losses when they haven't had their guys available, evaluating this team hasn't really been possible so far, right? Like, they just have not been what they are intended to be. And we're at that point in the season, the 19-game mark, the 20-game mark is tonight. That's usually the spot on the calendar. Everyone kind of circles as, okay, by that time, we kind of know what we've got here. And I think for the second straight season, that does not apply to the Toronto Raptors. It's a, it's a little bit of a tricky situation to try to figure out what's real, what's not. 
One thing that very much seems real, though, is the gaming of the possession battle the Raptors continue to engage in as they look to win the math battle as opposed to win the we are talented and good at scoring baskets battle, which sometimes they're on the right side of. More often than not, they are when they have Pascal Siakam, but... Uh, without Siakam, their offense has been trash. Their like ability to create good looks of the half court has been abysmal. And yet, they're 5-5. Five and five. They're treading water totally admirably and setting the stage for a potential run once Siakam gets back and they get some health. Obviously, Scotty Barnes being out too doesn't help this either. And I just, some of these numbers are insane. So, they go uh, into, uh, or they come out of the game against the Mavericks. They get 17 offensive boards. They have 88 field goal attempts to 73 for Dallas, which accounts for the fact that the Raptors shot, uh, what was it in this game? They shot a whole uh, 43%, 31% from deep. The, the Mavs go 48%. They go 28% from deep. But again, it's just like the math is insurmountable if you are, uh, you know, the, the team up against the Raptors, it seems sometimes. You know, the Raptors only hit eight threes in this game. That's where the Mavs got a little bit back in this one, 11 threes to, their, to the Raptors' eight. Um, but it, it just, they continue to realize if we get more shots than the other team it's going to be very difficult to beat us we take care of the ball uh we have guys who can score in big moments where you desperately need it and they are, are just so very clearly married to the concept of we're going to take more shots than the other team and that's going to be our avenue to winning it's not all that dissimilar from any team in the early 2010s that realized huh three points are worth more than two 88 shots are worth more than 73 shots. This is the same logic applies. It's a different area of the floor, different battleground the Raptors are working in, of course. But basketball is all about just trying to figure out how to work the math in your favor. And the Raptors have certainly done that. They are still number one in the league at 10.5 steals a game, which is a historic rate. I don't believe, I think that's that that I've heard or that, that's been thrown around on the broadcast as no team has ever averaged more than 10 steals a game. Uh, that is, like the Raptors are now sustaining this through 20 games. It feels like they're just going to be the best team at getting steals in the NBA and by a significant margin. The number two team in the league is the New York Knicks who average 8.5 steals a game. The Raptors are an entire Fred Van Vliet per game of the second best team in terms of overall steals it's it's pretty ridiculous they also are 29th in true shooting percentage ahead of only the charlotte hornets who are awful and just behind the detroit pistons who are awful and just behind the san antonio spurs who are awful and the atlanta hawks who i, I think are maybe not that great um there's a lot of teams in that sort of back end of the true shooting percentage ranking that you do not want to be associated with but the raptors are fine they're like yeah we're chilling with 29th best team at actually scoring the basketball when we put a shot up doesn't matter because we get more shots than you and the math is going to work in our favor um you know they continue to just like smack the offensive glass Actually, they were kind of down in this department in the first part of the season. Before Siakam got hurt, they were 10th in the NBA in offensive rebounding rate, around 29% per cleaning the glass. They are now up to 4th in the NBA. They've been 3rd in the league since that uh, time Siakam went out, and they are at a 33.1 ever since. And they are just, like, they're maniacal when it comes to crashing the offensive glass. They're really good at it, too. Chris Boucher is just an absolute wizard when it comes to scoping out those misses and putting them back. They collect a lot of their own misses. You know, we saw OG do that big in the fourth quarter in this game. Like, they just are really, really 
good at getting more possessions than the other team, which it's not everything. The other team can go crazy and have a, you know, a great night shooting and you're still going to be kind of left holding the bag. But for the most part, they're putting themselves in the position to be in every single game because they're tilting this possession battle so drastically in their favor. It's just, it's really, really been fun to watch them kind of find this little cheat code in basketball and just hammer it home. They are currently now averaging 9.9 field goal attempts more than their opponents per game. 91.4 to 81.5. That's crazy. They were at a seven-shot differential last year, and they've expanded that by almost half of what their differential was last year. It, it is staggering. And again, I think this goes to preparation. This goes to the coaching staff realizing the limitations of the players on the team and just kind of going, all right, what can we be good at? And then hammering home the things they're good at. This all changes, though, probably, at least the calculus of how you're going to do this changes once Pascal Siakam gets back. A big reason the Raptors have to do this right now in order just to, to survive and stay in these games is that their half-court offense is truly wretched right now. They are, per cleaning the glass, the number 30 team in half-court offense in the entire NBA. They are not good at it at all. And you see it, right? OG Adenobi's awesome, but... The, you know, the numbers for his isolations, his drives, his pick and roll operation, if you look at the tracking data on NBA.com, none of it's very impressive. Fred Van Vliet, we know once he gets around the rim, there's always going to be challenges there because he's six feet tall, even though he's added quite a bit of a bag to his finish package around the rim. Um, Alvin Williams and, and Matt Devlin were talking about the sort of one-handed just go straight up without bringing the left into the mix um, just to kind of quickly catch the defenders off guard in this game. And that's the thing he's added, obviously. He's got a lot of English. He's working it off the glass. That's all well and good, but you don't want to rely on fancy English from your six-foot point guard to be your bellwether of how your offense is running. We know the three-point shooting has been really, really dire since Pascal went out because so many of the looks the Raptors are creating are less good than they are when Pascal is available. It's just been really, really tough to see. They were, however, floating around respectability when Siakam was healthy, on the half-court side of things. I believe they were 24th when he officially went out. They were as high as 18th in half-court offense while also maintaining their just absurd transition numbers, their offensive rebounding and putback numbers. Um, like, that's all kind of, that's always been there. But they had this respectable half-court offense that if you look at it, and they're 18th in the NBA in half-court offense with all the other stuff they do on the margins, that's a really good team that is going to be very hard to beat you know, over the course of a single game, a series, whatever it might be. The thing is, is they need Siakam to get back and have that sort of control of the offense that he had at the end of last season, that he had to start this year, and maybe even have it be a little bit more, um, you know, have a little bit more support for him when he's doing that. So you can get the threes falling. You can get, you know, it's not just Pascal and everyone else. It's Pascal helping everyone else. And hel and it's sort of like a, a five-man unit working as one, which I think Siakam does a really good job of ensuring happens because of his playmaking, the way he's able to set guys up and all of that. But they're going to need this half-court offense to find a gear here because I am worried about the possession game once you get to the playoffs. I don't think you can do it over the course of a playoff series and expect to win. You know, the shot making is going to be that much more elevated against better competition. The star players on other teams are going to be given agency to go and make big shots. And the true shooting issues for the Raptors, like, that's, that's got to fix. That, that's got to be improved for playoff success. And 
I think Siakam can be the avenue to that, right? If you can get this half-court offense up to something reasonable where you're not sort of having to rely on this math game to win every single game and stay in these games and just overcome the fact that you can't hit a damn thing, um, you know, at least in the half-court transition, they're incredible. We've already talked about this plenty this year. But if you can get Siakam back in here, Maybe they have to be a little bit less aggressive. Maybe it can give them the ability to be a little bit more low key and ha- you know and be less sort of you know married to the offensive glass. Maybe that helps their transition defense. Although again, they continue to have just absurd transition transition defense despite all of this and the fact that they crashed the glass so heavily. They're still number one in transition D. So like I don't know. Very hard team to figure out. Lots of weird stuff going on. But one thing I don't think is hard to figure out is that the offense you can't sustain a contender quality team, a top four team in the Eastern Conference with how loaded the Eastern Conference is with your half-court offense being dead last in the NBA. And Siakam maybe is the guy who can kind of fix that and get it back up to respectability. It's going to be a long slog of a climb because they're currently below such dignitaries as like the Houston Rockets and uh, the uh, San Antonio Spurs and the Charlotte Hornets and the Memphis Grizzlies and the Detroit Pistons and the Orlando Magic. They're all better right now than the Raptors are scoring in the half court and better by like a pretty insane margin. Right now, the Raptors, per cleaning the glass, are scoring 84.1 points uh, per 100 possessions in the uh, in the half court. The next worst team is the Spurs at 86.4. So a two-point full differential between the Raptors and dead last and the Spurs. Again, we talked about this last week. This is a team of extremes. It's a very weird team. It's hard to co- sort of figure out what's going on here a, a lot of the time. But, you know... It's also very intentional, it seems. And um, if they can keep the intentionality with everything else they're doing while also working Siakam back into the mix, hopefully as soon as tonight. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Probably not. More so Wednesday or later in the week. But, um, you know, just there's something here, man. And it's just that half-court offense is kind of the thing that's hanging them up right now. And if not for the half-court offense, they probably beat the Mavs by a lot more. They probably win that Hawks game. Like, there's plenty of games where they go on to win in this stretch without Siakam if they just have someone who can create consistency consistently reliable looks in the half court and as great as OG Ananobi's been he's not quite doing that just yet he's not the playmaker obviously Siakam is Barnes has obviously been in and out of the lineup and a little bit up and down Siakam is just going to make things so much easier for this team and then when you figure in the guys who have kind of out of themselves into the mix by their play. You want show Thad Young, um, you know, maybe even a Malachi Flynn or a Jeff Doughton. We'll talk about Flynn coming up in a sec here. But um, yeah, th- this is looking like a team that can go on a run and figure th- some things out here because of the way they've so mastered the possession game. If they can get some just traditional good-ass shot making from Pascal Siakam and the, the guys who are going to benefit from Pascal Siakam, things get pretty interesting pretty fast for this team. We're going to continue on. And we're going to dig into the good, the bad, and the hmm from the loss, or sorry, the win over the Dallas Mavericks to round up the show. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our friends over at BetOnline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball. You got the World Cup going on right now. Our boys from Canada are eliminated already. It was very depressing and sad. But if you want to go and put a little money down on the game against Morocco on Thursday just to have a little fun, you can go ahead and do that and bet online has all those odds and lines available for you they'll also tell you which other teams you should be putting your money down on and making you the informed wagerer before you put any of your hard-earned money on the line head to the website today or use your mobile device learn more bet online is where the game starts the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's round out today's show with our traditional rite of passage after a Toronto Raptors game. The good, the bad, and the hmm. The good, the thing I liked a lot, to the bad, the thing I didn't like so much from the game, and the hmm, a thing I'm a little interested by. It's got my interest peaked, if you will. All right, the good. For the good this time around, we are going to go with Fred Van Vliet getting milestones, baby. Uh, Really cool to see him uh, tie Wes Matthews as the fastest undrafted player to 5,000 career points. Did it in 361 career games. Passes Alvin Williams as well on the all-time Raptors assist list for fourth behind Kyle Lowry, Jose Calderon, and DeMar DeRozan. That's also very cool. Led to a very fun stretch of Alvin Williams talking about how bad he was as a basketball player, which is the best brand of color commentary you'll ever find. It's straight out of the book of Buck Martinez and Pat Tabler with the Blue Jays, where they're at their best, where they're talking about how terrible they were as major league players. Um, but just, it's nice to take a second to appreciate Fred Van Vliet. This is a dude who gets a lot of scorn and criticism, most of it very unfair. Uh, this is a guy who has been... Truly one of the faces of the Raptors for six, seven seasons now, and like a real sort of, I think, pillar and example of what the Raptors do well, which is find guys and develop them and have them lean into their strengths and continue to get better year over year. Fred continues to get better year over year. The playmaking continues to always take strides. He's finding guys on lobs now. It's unbelievable. The pick and roll chemistry. You give him a dude who's seven feet tall or just someone who's willing to go up towards the rim and all of a sudden Fred Van Vliet can find them and he's just kind of added that to his bag a little bit this season. He adds stuff all the time. He's an incredible defensive player. He is the quarterback of the Raptors scrambling defense at times. You know, when it, when Pascal Kelsey Occam's not out there, certainly. And, you know, they don't have that game. They don't get that late-game steal against the Mavericks that ends up in the hands of Thad Young on that beautiful possession without Thad Young, without, without Fred Van Vliet's orchestration and his incredible rotation. The fact that, you know, that possession in particular, I mean, they made the Mavs have to think real quick. Just the rotations were so on point, in your face. All right, what are you going to do? You're going to pass? You're going to drive? What are you going to do? Obviously, that leads to that Thad Young steal at the end um, and the free throws he hit. Like, man, just... uh. Really, really great stuff. Love the uh, the way the Raptors have, uh, um, you know, j- just kind of figured out th- this development thing with, with Fred VanVleet and stuck with it and gone through the ups and downs. And uh, he's a guy who should be around for the rest of time. He should be a lifer uh, on the Raptors, honestly. There's no reason for him not to be. Very cool to see him get those milestones, and uh, I'm sure there'll be many more coming up for him. All right, the bad. I feel bad about this because I've been hopeful about this guy. But Malachi Flynn losing the rope a little bit, I think, is my bad. You know, he only plays six minutes. Only he misses his only shot against the Mavericks. Uh, rough, rough last couple of games. You know, the, Ma- the the Nets game on Wednesday also a really rough one for him. And it just feels like the opportunity's been there. But Fred's back in the lineup now. Pascal's coming back soon. And I don't know if Malachi Flynn has strung together enough really good games to ensure he's going to be part of the rotation going forward. And it's a shame because there have been tangible signs here. The shot making looks improved. The um, the playmaking, the fact that he can sort of work a pick and roll with Christian Coloco now. And it's like a thing that he feels comfortable doing. That's beautiful. 
the defense has even been pretty solid in a lot of stretches, but the sort of lack of consistency, the way he'll have a, a, a lopsided shooting night and the way that feels like it saps so much out of the Raptors too, because oftentimes when Malachi Flynn has to shoot a lot, it's because they're relying on him too, because they don't have much else going on. And if he's not hitting, it's just really tricky. So yeah, I, I think he might be kind of losing his opportunity to snatch a full-time rotation spot again. And we're going to kind of go into all of this on a show later this week with Jamar Hines. We're going to talk about just the, you know, the, the post-Siakam time now. The Siakam is going to come back. What's going to happen with the rotation? Who have been the guys who have been the big risers and fallers in the depth chart in that time? And Malachi Flynn, for a sec, looked like a riser, but I feel like maybe he's kind of back where he was before. And that's a shame. Um, you know, obviously injuries happen. Fred VanVleet might still be sick. He's been sick for like three weeks, apparently. So maybe he misses more time. But just a rough stretch here for Malachi Flynn, who I feel like maybe last couple of games he's lost a bit of an opportunity. As Jeff Doughton has kind of stepped in, offered some nice minutes. You know, two points, three boards, three assists against the Mavericks in 11 minutes. I thought he looked pretty solid. Had that nice, beautiful off-glass finger roll finish that was really cool to see. Maybe Downton's just more of a guy than Malachi Flynn is. We will see. Um, but yeah, that's my bad for this one, is Malachi Flynn kind of losing the plot a little bit these last couple outings. And my hmm, to quickly close off the show, is Ken Birch, the role man. I really like what we saw from Ken Birch in the game against the Mavericks. He had six points, three of five. And a thing I really like about him is he operates well within the Raptors' very... Hmm, confined parameters at times like they don't have a ton of spacing all the time they often have like multiple guys kind of hanging around the paint waiting for offensive boards waiting for dump offs and I think what Ken Birch does really well is he offers an outlet to his ball handler mostly Fred Van Vliet when Fred's kind of doing his Steve Nash kind of dribble through the trees thing he's always there to offer a good passing outlet without getting in Fred's way and that I think is a really difficult thing for a big man to do in those close quarters, when a guard is kind of unpredictably jittering around, but I think Ken Birch does a really nice job of just kind of staying out of the way, offering a nice little bit of spacing in the lane without clogging the lane for Fred and offering himself as a target. I think that was a nice little, uh, nice performance from him, specifically in that department against the Mavericks on Saturday. And, you know, Ken Birch is going to be a guy who has to play, I think, at some point here. There are going to be moments where Ken Birch is the nominal backup center who's coming in off the bench to play the heavy center minutes. It's, you know, Christian Coloco, as we saw, just four minutes against the Mavericks. He's not always up to the task. He's a rookie. He's a big man rookie. These things take time. He's not always going to look incredible. Sometimes he's going to look downright bad, and Ken Birch is going to have to be there if, in fact, they are in need of a traditional type center. And I, I think, you know, barring some sort of trade later in the year to go pick up a center to kind of fill the gap, which I think is very much on the table, I, I think Kem is going to have a role here. And I, I do like that he seems to kind of be settling into his very limited offensive role, but he's not actively detracting from the way the Raptors offense works when he's out there because he's able to give his guards broom to breathe and space to operate while also still being there as a pick and roll target, which is very, very nice. And uh, yeah, nice stuff from Ken Birch. We'll see. I, I do think there's going to be a little bit more from Ken Birch in the, in the time to come here. He's been pretty solid when he's played. The Raptors win a lot when he plays too. So maybe he is uh, going to work himself into that back end of the rotation as a backup center here if Coloco falters, which, hey, he might. He's a rookie. That's going to happen sometimes.
with that, we're going to round up the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll be back again tomorrow. Actually, late tonight, I'm going to be doing a, an episode right after the Raptors-Cavs game. Should be up, uh, you know, probably like 11, 11.30 p.m., midnight latest, I would guess. So you'll have that right in your feeds. If you're listening early in the morning or late at night, it'll be there for you. And uh, that should be a lot of fun, Raptors-Cavs. Hopefully Pascal's back, fingers crossed. We don't know. Probably not at this point. I haven't seen any updates while recording the show. Um, but either way... The uh, the lights on the horizon. The, the, we're starting to see the Raptors maybe coming out of this morass of horrible injury luck, and uh, maybe there's a bit of a turnaround. And I say that, and they'll probably lose five guys to injury tonight. Knocking all the wood. Uh, we're gonna wrap it there. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will talk to you on Tuesday or late Monday with the Ra- Raptors Cavs recap. In the meantime, go listen to Locked On Leafs as Mike and Dave are doing a great job breaking down what the buds are doing as the NHL season progresses. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Enjoy the game tonight. Bye bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.